What does freedom mean to you? What kinds of freedom have you found in recovery? Welcome to episode 241 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Mary, Anne, Robin, Debbie, and Christina. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Mary, Anne, Robin, Debbie, and Christina, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with a seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we, the recovery show, may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Eric. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. We have a reading to start with. This is from One Day at a Time in Elanon, also called Odat. This is page 129, which is the reading for May 8th. Among the many gifts we are offered in Elanon is freedom. When we are new in Elanon, we are prisoners of our own confusion and despair. Working with the program offers us release as we learn to understand the true nature of our situation. The gifts of Al-Anon are not without price tag. Freedom, for example, can only be achieved by paying the price we call acceptance. If we can accept the first step, we are set free from the need to control the alcoholic. If we can surrender to God's guidance, it will cost us our self-will, so precious to us who have always thought we could dominate. It's up to us to decide whether freedom from our despair is worth all this. Most of us believe it is. Today's reminder, success with the Al-Anon program demands that we think honestly and in depth about our attitudes, evaluating our words and actions. When the attitudes change from hostility to forgiveness, from violence to quiet acceptance, our words and actions follow along. And the quote says, freedom has many facets, but mostly it releases us from much that has been troubling and defeating us. We pray for this release into freedom. There's a lot in there. I think we might start, as we often do, with some definitions. First definition says the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. And I just, I think about before program, as we often say, before program, I often felt that I didn't particularly in my relationship with my alcoholic. The next one says, absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. Well, it, <laughs> sometimes I think sometimes we felt that our, <laughs> the alcoholic in our life was a despotic government, I don't know, or, or dominating us. Uh, do, you, do you connect with that one? What that first one said, which you didn't read, uh, was freedom of choice at the end of it. Yes. And uh, yeah. that to me yeah. is huge. I mean, that is really, for me, it's the ability now to choose is freedom. I mean, who knew? <laughs> you know? And what the word on the synonym on that second one is independence, self-rule. I mean, that's about controlling our behavior. I mean, I can only control one thing, which mm -hmm. is me. Me. I can control my behavior, how I act, and be independent of what anyone else is doing and have choices. Mm-hmm. 
the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Oh, yeah, big. Um, with a synonym of liberty there. Yeah, release, deliverance. Yeah. All good. The state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily. I can detach with my feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm free. I'm free to leave if I'm uncomfortable. I have had some conversations with other Elanon members about the freedom to leave. Definitely, the state of not being subject to or affected by a particular undesirable thing. Um, yeah, well, freedom from alcoholism, I suppose, is yeah. like at the top of that list. Uh, other people's behavior. Yeah. The power of self-determination attributed to the will, the quality of being independent of fate or necessity. These synonyms are, are, I don't know, right, entitlement, privilege, prerogative, scope, latitude, leeway. I like that. Flexibility. Flexibility is great. Breathing space. Wow. Yeah. Those are are great synonyms there. Mm -hmm. Thinking about how Al-Anon gave me some space to breathe. Just to breathe. Oh, my God. unrestricted use of something. And I love this sentence here. The dog is happy having the freedom of the house when we are out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, I can go get that shoe and bring it over and and, uh, chew on it to my heart's delight. Yep. I'm going to sleep on the couch all day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh That was my dog. (laughs) I'm going to sleep on the couch all day. Yep. You know, we didn't let him on the couch when we first uh, when we first had him for the first for a number of years, and finally we sort of just gave in. But when at first, like he would get on the couch, but when he heard us coming, he would get off because he knew he wasn't right. supposed to be there. It was hilarious. Guilty. Guilty. Yep. Uh huh. And the final one that we have here is familiarity or openness in speech or behavior. Yeah, I can say what I mean. You had found a, a blog post that had some great stuff mm-hmm. about letting go of control leading to freedom. I think I felt back in the day before Al-Anon that the only way I could have the freedom to do what I wanted to do, to say what I wanted to say, to think what I wanted to think, I suppose, to some extent, was to be in control. You know, if I had everything in my life under control, then I could do what I wanted. And that first part is a problem, right? Having everything in my life under control, particularly when you're in a relationship with an active alcoholic, because so much of what's happening in that relationship is out of control. Then I feel like I don't have any freedom because I have to react. I have to respond. I have to fix. I have to control. That takes away my freedom because now... I'm being driven by the alcoholic situation and activities. How do you see that? Did, 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 did you have that same kind of notion that the only way you could be actually free to do what you wanted was to be in control or was it different for you? No, I, there was no freedom in trying to be in control. It was actually a trap. You know, I was less free by trying to control. I was a prisoner of control. Thinking that I could control it just caused, you know, every possible window and door to close. Uh, I was trapped because there was no controlling it. It was completely a falsehood to think that my uh, pouring it down the drain, hiding, breaking it, the bottles, you know, 
various other attempts to control the drinking and behavior would do anything but escalate my unhappiness and my feelings of despair. And I was trapped. I was the opposite of free. And I think probably most of us, when we came in, felt that exact way. I I was trapped. Mm -hmm. I felt a paralysis. I was buried in concrete and unable to help my children, unable to help myself, certainly unable to help my alcoholic, in fact, contributed to the problem mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, thinking I could free her somehow of her addiction, her disease, just caused me more pain, anguish, and suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the shackles and chains that I had, I uh, dragged around with me were, were now, I know, of my own choosing, you know, but boy, it's only taken eight years to figure that out, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yesterday, you know, remember yesterday we were we were trying to connect. You were going to a conference. I was in a meeting. Yeah. I came out and I texted, "I'm free now." Yeah. And you texted back, "So am I." It only took me eight years. <laughs> like, yeah. I got but, a chuckle from that. Yeah, I thought you might, but I didn't respond that quickly either. I actually was in the middle of a, a convention, our annual convention. So there was a little pause between both of those responses. Yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> which is yeah. which is why why we were having trouble connecting because yeah. I was doing things, you were doing things, but uh, we did finally get together. Of course, this blog that you found called Through an Al-Anon Filter. Mm-hmm. The author writes, "If I want peace, I must give my program away to others. If I want growth, I must give up." my belief in my own rightness. If I want serenity, I must give up self-will and be open to my higher power. If I want freedom, I must give up my need to control. Yeah. Somewhere I found this written that freedom can only come from acceptance. How do you understand that statement? Freedom can only come from acceptance. Kind of step one, you know. I accept that I'm powerless over alcohol uh and i accept that something's got to change because my life is completely a mess and unmanageable and it's affecting those people around me that i love the most and me being first on that list you know i was just miserable i had to accept that i needed a change and i had to accept that that change was not going to come today (laughs) you know as much as i wanted it to you know I, i mean i've shared this before when i stumbled in, as I put it, on my hands and knees over broken glass to my first meeting and just, you know, cried and blabbed out, cross-talked, did everything wrong, pretty much everything, you know, said, what did you mean by that? Should I tell my wife I'm here? I mean, just on and on. People are like, very, very tolerant. <laughs> but they, they knew it was your first meeting. I was a white-hot mess, yeah. I had to eventually accept that this was not going to happen quickly. You know, I heard early on someone share and and then finish with, I wish you all a slow recovery. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to strangle them, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I'd literally want to jump up and, just, you know, strangle them. But I've used that before because now I know it takes time. I'm at peace with that, you know. I'm free to go at any pace that is suitable for me. Sometimes it is not as quickly as I want it to be. I got to be free to let that go. I mean, as I've shared before, you know, I, I, when I finally embraced the program, which pretty much by the end of the first meeting, because it was the only place, <laughs> I said, I, I guess this is where I need to be because somehow these people and the stuff I'm reading 
it's coming out of my head. You know, how do they know? I really just, I just couldn't fathom how other people could read my mind and feel what I was feeling, which was complete terror and fright and fear and anger. But talk about it in a way that, you know, in the past tense in a certain degree and with hope and optimism uh, in, in, in same shares in the same meeting. I said, you know, so I got to be something to this. I thought it had to be quickly uh, or my life would explode and the world would uh, burn and my house would be in ashes and everybody would be dead by next week. I, I picked up one of the books. I eventually picked up pretty much all the books, walked around like a mule uh, with a pack of, of reading and literature and books and you, who knows what, every phone list I could find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I picked up Courage to Change and I read it cover to cover. Didn't even notice there was a date on the top of every page. Surely by the end of this book, they're going to tell me what to do. And I quickly realized it doesn't work that way. It's a day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so freedom, I guess, in that story and in recollection is uh, freedom from the need to get it done today. You know, freedom to take my time, you know, freedom to go slow. Yep. Yeah. So when you said step one was about acceptance and freedom from arising through acceptance, I flashed back to what I call my my step one experience, which happened before I came into Al-Anon, and it actually was the thing that prompted me or whatever to to actually come to Al-Anon. I was in a room at a treatment center, And they were talking to us about, I don't know, codependency and alcoholism and all that stuff that we friends and family members needed to know in order to, uh, to help support our, our alcoholic or addict loved ones through their recovery, right? The person who was talking said, you didn't cause it. You can't cure it and you can't control it, right? Our three C's. And in that moment, I felt, like physically felt a weight come off of me. And I felt a a new lightness, a new freedom that I had been trying to do something that I couldn't do, that I didn't have to keep on doing it. I feel that in that moment, I really took that first step of powerlessness in my heart. I took it back multiple times after that over the years, but that was the moment. And, and, you know, when you said that, I was like, Oh yeah, that, (laughs) that freedom that came in that moment just was, was astounding. And then when you were talking about, may you have a slow recovery. Of course, I think about the words in the AA big book and, in the step nine promises where it says, are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Yeah. Slow recovery, freedom to go at the speed, at the pace that, that we need to go at. I want to touch on something right after the reading that you did. It goes on and he says, I had such a struggle with this concept because it was my powerlessness in childhood that made the physical abuse possible. If I wanted freedom from my despair, I had to give up my certainty that there was only one way to define powerless. If 
Yeah. And that, and he goes on. I had this is this line I've never heard. I love. If I want real lasting change, I must give up my safe misery. Wow. You know, for me, I mean, it did kind of in a strand. I've heard this, you know, many times. I mean, we were just so used to being miserable that it felt kind of safe. I had to give up my safe misery. Did I consider this trade-off worth it? I wasn't sure at the time. I first began to try. But I had to trust in my sponsor and other members of Al-Anon who promised me it was. I had faith in them when I had no faith in the process and wasn't even sure I believed in a higher power. If it worked, I was thrilled, amazed, and could dimly envision more of the same if I continue to work my program. From my vantage point of today, years later, I feel such gratitude for those Al-Anon members who, quote, loved me in a very special way when I could not love myself or anyone else. Wow, you know, boy, this is a, a really powerful reading. And that line, I must give up my safe misery. Jeez. You know, martyrdom. I uh, There was at the convention I went to yesterday, we'll touch on later in our week in recovery, but there was a speaker on one of the topics of workshops, and she was wearing a robe, a bathrobe. She said, this is, you know, this is what I wore every day so I could show you how miserable I was. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I had a cloak of misery that I was wearing. It was basically, you know, martyrdom. Look at me. And then she said, she went on to have some funny comments. She said, uh, you know, let's play the game. Let's, let's go and play the game today. Guess what I'm mad about? <laughs> you know, and it was just that misery was just the antithesis of freedom. And it actually felt kind of comfortable back then, you know, um, being in misery and despair and wanting everybody to know about it was kind of the only thing I knew how to deal with. The only tool I knew was to let other people know how incredibly miserable I was or the furthest thing from freedom, you know, and it was self-imposed. Just didn't know. I didn't know I had to learn the tools of how to break those chains. You also picked up some stuff about concept three, and we don't talk about the concepts too often, but concept three says the right of decision makes effective leadership possible. Now, what does that have to do with freedom? Well, there's a quote here from Paths to Recovery. I think this must be in the concept three discussion, page 263. It says, without the freedom to decide when and how to proceed, nothing could be done. Everything, no matter how great or trivial it might be, would have to be referred to the Al-Anon groups, because this is talking about how in Al-Anon, the groups give the right to the conference and to the trustees to make certain decisions, even though the groups are the ultimate authority for, for Al-Anon as a whole. But if you have to go back and, and ask all the people in all the groups every time you want to make a decision, nothing ever happens. That works in our lives, too that in certain circumstances, we get the, the right to make decisions, and that gives us the freedom to make those decisions. We have the right to decide to make choices. This is a powerful idea, and one that many of us have lost sight of growing up in families that were dysfunctional. Yes. I mean, there were choices I could make. I could make a choice about what clothes to put on in the morning. But for the big things in my life, I was driven by the situation, I think. The next one from this concept three, the right of decision, which is in, if we remember back to our uh, original 
Oxford Dictionary definition. The right of decision and the right of choice is one of the definitions of freedom, the right to decide. So this reading is from Reaching for Personal Freedom, one of our workbooks, page 132, and says, initially, I believe that my emotional upheavals were due to my mother's alcoholism. As disturbing as that was, I could not explain why that would affect me 20 years after she died. I came to Al-Anon and worked the steps and traditions. That was a big help, but there was still some nagging unfinished business. When I began to study Concept 3, I found the answer. It wasn't alcoholism that bothered me. It was someone taking away my right of decision. In other words, I allowed someone else to take away my freedom. Yeah. That's a good one. That is so true. Yeah, reaching for personal freedom is, is as you say, it's a, it's a workbook. It's for It's got all the steps, the traditions, and the concepts. It's got short readings, shares from members, and, and questions to work yourself through understanding how these concepts, traditions, and steps apply in your personal life as uh, more than how they apply in Al-Anon. It's the, the, that workbook is focused on, on how, it, how it works for, for us, for me, individually. It really is a great, great book. I, I bring it to meetings because it gives me, a, you know, sometimes a different perspective on what we're talking about. I can pull out and say, oh, here, here's this little reading that really spoke to me. Yeah. I highly recommend it if you can find it at one of your meetings, or you can order it online from Al-Anon. It's a relatively new, uh, I gather. Yeah, it's about four or five years old, I think, at this point. Yeah. It came out just about the same time, maybe shortly after I started doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a green spiral bound. Yep, with a tree. It's the, yeah. It's got yeah. the tree yeah. on the cover. There you go. And, yeah, look, sort of looking up at a tree towards the sky, mm-hmm. reaching for freedom, I guess is what it's talking about. But yeah, freedom right there in the title, reaching for personal freedom. That's so much of what the whole program is about. It really is. There's also a great pamphlet called uh, Freedom from Despair. I think that's a pamphlet that's in most of my meetings. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that one, but I probably have. <sighs> It wasn't alcoholism that bothered me. It was someone taking away my right of decision. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what we've been talking about, right? How, yeah. how living with alcoholism right. takes away our our right to make decisions. Yeah. Our freedom to make decisions. Yep. You know, we're just bound and so codependent and trying to please others and stuff our feelings that we give up our rights. We give up our, our God-given rights to make decisions on our own, free from despair and the overwhelming weight of other people's behavior that, you know, with one loved one, a loved one is suffering. Uh, we want to help. We want to yep. try to fix it for them, you know. We want to fix could, it. Yeah. If I could uh, take the medicine and cure you, I'd down the whole bottle. You know, but <laughs> it's, it's not the not the medicine that helps you. So yeah, freedom from despair. That's why I came in. So I started making. We both made lists of freedoms. You got a really long one, and we, we I think we'll talk about some of those in a minute. The one that I wrote that I think connects directly here, probably because I that's probably why I wrote it right after the the concept three bullets. But I am free to live my life. I don't have to follow the whims and wishes of my loved one. I can choose to do so, but I don't have to do so. And I think that connects directly to this notion that that the alcoholic situation took away 
my my right to make decisions. So you you divided your list into two sections here. You have I'm becoming free from things and I'm becoming free to other things. And I and I like that. I didn't really think about it. I just I have free to grow, free to laugh, free to make choices. Sort of the same thing as the first one. Free to know myself. Yeah. Free to let go of the past but not wish to shut the door on it. That's from one of the promises in, in the AA big book, step nine promises. I am free to find gratitude in the little and the big things, even when some part of my life sucks. Yeah. So often it's like, well, I can't be happy because there's this horrible thing. I can't be happy because, you know, my wife's drinking. Damn it. I can't be happy. That was an attitude that I had. And I don't have to be that way, right? I don't have to be that way. I can, I can find happiness even if she's not. That was, and that's not the way I grew up. That's not the way, uh, that's not what I learned from my mother because she's, I've said this before, but she's one of these people that everybody else has to be happy before she can even be content let alone happy. Seems like anyway. I learned that. I know I learned that behavior. So let's look at this becoming free from list that you that you wrote. But we've been talking about doing this episode for a while, and the longer I'm in this program, the more of the subtleties of becoming happy, joyous, and free. I mean, we've heard that stated over and over. It's in both programs. Both programs finish. We want to be happy, joyous, and free. There's the word. I kind of randomly scribbled down in my iPhone, you know, topic ideas a while back and shot them over to you. And I was surprised when you picked freedom. Uh, of the others that were, I think, a lot more direct, like consequences, uh, uh, freedom was kind of, uh, hmm, really? Was it, you know? And it took a while. And I allowed it to take a while to kind of percolate and gel and stew and, and, you know, uh, allowed my higher power to, to fill some of the feelings about this topic. And the more I allowed that to happen, the more they came, you know, isn't that amazing? When I open myself up to an idea that I think is important, my higher power says, let me fill in some blanks for you. And this one kind of all came out, this list of mine just occurred to me yesterday while I was immersed in a pretty much a 10-hour day of recovery. Yeah, uh, yeah. Huge workshops on laughter and anxiety and fear and, you know, dual program guys sharing their stories, um, alateens running around dressed like cows. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just fun and crazy and intense and really amazing day of recovery. The list started coming to me and I, I keep a little notebook for meetings as well as I did yesterday as well. And I just started thinking, you know, if I were to make a, a list of what I'm becoming free from, what would that look like? And, and I thought, well, what, am, what about a list of uh, what am I becoming free to, yeah. you know, becoming free to do. So I started by saying, I now have a toolkit full of slogans, steps, traditions, concepts, fellowship, friends, phone calls, and a sponsor that are my keys to unshackle me 
free me from the self-imposed chains I'd locked myself in by allowing the disease to control me, my feelings, attitudes, and behavior. And I thought, you know, there's, I always try to find somewhere in our promises, which is on page 269, 270 of Survival to Recovery. So, you know, some people call them the gifts. Some people say the promises. I like to call them the promises because they're pretty direct. They say this is what will happen to you. I mean, AA has a definitive list of promises. You know, if you willingly surrender and work this program, this will happen. It says it. So I like to think of these as as uh, the promises for Eleanor. And number 11, I have them numbered. This one says, number 11 says, no longer terrified. We will discover we are free to delight in life's paradox, mystery, and awe. There it is, right there. We are free. We will be free. So my list starts, I am becoming free from despair, sadness, loneliness, isolation, anxiety, blame, resentments, feeling trapped, fear, anger, guilt, shame, Dependence on others, expectations of others. I mean, almost every one of these has been a topic of a podcast, I would say. Every one of those words. And uh, my other list is I am becoming free to live and let live. I'm becoming free to let it go, to surrender without giving up, to say no and feel good about it, to detach with love. I'm becoming free to set boundaries, to allow consequences to happen, to love and not need. That's another one of our promises. Uh, mm-hmm. We can love without giving ourselves away, without needing. I am free, becoming free to walk away, detach with my feet, as we said earlier, to feel without fear, to say what I mean, to slow down, to go slow. To enjoy solitude, enjoy being alone, be happy. I'm becoming free to be happy. I used to feel guilty if I felt happy. To have choices, free to take risks, free to be wrong, Mm. free to trust, and free to laugh more. That's promise number 12. We will laugh more. And as my sponsor said when I read him this list at the end of our day yesterday, he said, who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Um, yeah. So I have a reading here about, about laughter. Um, it's from our reader, Courage to Change, July 23rd. A miraculous change has come about because of my commitment to the Al-Anon program. I have discovered that I have a sense of humor. When I came to these rooms, I never cracked a smile and resented anyone who did. I couldn't understand all the laughter during the meetings. I didn't hear anything funny. Life was tragic and serious. Recently, I was sharing about a series of events that I had found extremely difficult. It had been one of those weeks in which everything seemed to go wrong. The odd part was that now that it was over, I found my traumatic tale incredibly funny, and so did most of the others at the meeting. More than any other change I have observed in myself, I find this the most glorious. It tells me that I see myself and my life in a more realistic way. I am no longer a victim, full of self-pity, and bent on control of every aspect of my life. Today, I can take myself and my circumstances more lightly. I can even allow joy and laughter to be a part of a difficult experience. And that connects 
to just to so many of the things that, that you just talked about, you know? Yeah. We're f- free from tragedy, free from having to take everything seriously. We're f- free from self-pity, free from control, free from being a victim. Yeah. Uh, the list could go on and on and on. Free to have joy and laughter, even, you know, to be part of a difficult experience. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Episode 121 on the recovery show. Laughter. <laughs> yeah. You and I did that. That was uh, a while ago. August 11, 2015. I'm looking at it. The, I would say the most attended workshop of the entire day yesterday. Probably had 200 people, 300 maybe, standing room only was on humor and laughter in recovery. Yeah, so what did you hear there? You you, you told me you were going going into that like right after lunch. So yeah. I, I was like, what what did you hear? Well, there were three speakers and they spoke about, you know, the laughter in the rooms and the woman that was dressed in her uh bathrobe was the first speaker and she was talking about oh my god, I mean, you know, I, the stories are just incredibly tragic, but now, in hindsight, in her case, you know, her husband, the alcoholic, had recovered, and now they could look back on this incredibly crazy behavior and laugh about it. He happened to be the third speaker on the same panel. So everything that – and I didn't, we didn't know that while she was speaking. He was sitting two chairs away. So his side of the story came out, you know, a little bit later. And his was, as you can imagine, quite different. We'll hit on it later. But very, very funny. At the same time as everybody cringing, then laughing. Uh, You know, it's like what happens in the rooms. Some of these things you just got to laugh at. It's It's just the human condition can be really funny. It could also be very, very difficult. But finding the ability to laugh again is freeing. It's so freeing. I grew up with a great sense of humor. My parents often found the funny part of any situation to try to, you know, relieve some tension. I lost that for a long time. You know, we talked about that in that episode. There were eight years where I don't think I left unless it was at somebody and not kind. Even that was seldom. There was years where I just was a grump and it was this disease that was controlling me. Yeah. But anyway, Back to uh, where where you were with that reading, humor and laughter is certainly comic relief, certainly freeing to find that again. Yep. The quote on that reading from Ethel Barrymore says, you grow up the day you have the first real laugh at yourself. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I know I have found many times when I'm, as, as the reading says, you know, I'm sharing something that was not, a happy part of my life. It was, you know, it was something, things went wrong and, and I'm sharing it and I'm sharing my reaction and my actions and what I was thinking. And I've heard myself say, yeah. And, and how crazy is that anyway? And just laugh. Yeah. Because, you know, some of the, I know some of the laughter in meetings and, and, and we talked about this. We probably don't need to go into this in great detail. Episode 121 at the recovery dot show slash 121. Okay. We laugh in sympathy. We laugh in recognition of our commonality. We laugh at other people's stories, not because, not necessarily because they're funny, but because we recognize that in ourselves 
and we can laugh at it. We can recognize that, yeah, this is sort of insane behavior. Yeah, it's uh, tension relieving, and it's yeah. As we said in that episode, you know, when we finally find our laugh again and our ability to see beyond the the onslaught of bad behavior and look at things from a step back at a distance, we laugh with people. We feel we feel their pain. We feel it. We're laughing with you, and it's it's amazing when that happens. And and I hear it. You know, we all hear it in every room. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. boy, that is freeing. I mean, a lot of people are pissed off when they come in when they hear laughter. What the, what yeah. possibly could anybody be laughing about? Yeah. But it takes time. You know, one of the gifts of the program is the ability to be free from hurry. I can go slow. You know, one of the enemies of serenity, hurry and indecision. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the freedoms is to slow down and be decisive you know, come to decisions. So kind of the antithesis. There we go. Wow. You know, you, you say this thing and then it's like, Oh wow. I forgot about that. Yeah. How could I forget about that? I came into Al-Anon with this huge question about whether to stay in my alcoholic marriage or not. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I thought I had to do something right now. Right. You know, I heard, no, you can slow down. You don't have to make a decision if you don't know what the right choice is. I'm like, what? Okay, that's freedom. Yeah. That is That was very freeing. It was like, oh, okay, I can set this aside until I actually know what the answer is. Wow. I mean, you know, I wasn't in physical danger or, I mean, there was some emotional hazard there, clearly. But, you know, Alan and I gave me tools to uh, to live with that until I knew the right answer. And for me, the answer was to stay. You know, for you, the answer was to leave. Uh, we each have our own answer, which is, as we say, we don't give advice because my answer might not work for you. I can share what did work for me, but you have to make your own choice. You're free to make your own choice. I'm looking at this list and I'm like, how many of these have we done actually yeah. episodes on? I looked at fear and I had been thinking about fear again recently. The high school group at my church did a, a service recently, and their their topic was fear because coming right after the the school shootings in Florida, mm. they had a lot of fear. You know, it was at the top of their mind um, this fear that they were not safe in their in their school, which is a big part of their life, right? Uh, so, so they did a service about fear, about facing fear, about just, you know, sort of digging into fear and, and ways of, of, of getting, not getting through necessarily because, you know, sometimes fear is rational. I don't know if, if being afraid that somebody's going to come into your school and, and start shooting is, is, I mean, it's a rational fear, but it's not one that you want to carry with you all the time. One of them read a poem, and I meant to go look this up online, a poem written by a high school student about getting in the line of fire, not to save herself, but to save the others. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is some somebody, you know, 16, 17 years old saying, I will throw myself at this gun gunman, if, and maybe I can stop him or her. It's usually him, so that other people can live. It's like, oh, wow, 
so powerful, so powerful. So fear, you know, thinking about fear. And then I looked, well, we've done <laughs> three episodes just with fear in the title. Episode 74, Faith Over Fear. Episode 187, Fear, Faith, and Surrender, which actually a speaker. And then uh, recently, Fear of Financial Insecurity. So I was like, ah, okay, I've, I've done that topic. Maybe, maybe we don't need to do it again right now. Anger, I'm sure, I don't know if we've, we've titled one about anger, but God, resentment. I know we've done episodes on resentment. Expectations, uh, expectations of others, shame, guilt, anxiety. I mean, you know, these have been topics. They're important topics. Yeah. Blame. And then, and then the free to list. I'm free to live and let live. You know, we've done that at least once. Let it go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> slogans, slogans part two. Um, say no. I don't, you know, that's an interesting topic. Yeah. We, uh, men's, our men's group had that somewhere. Some meeting somewhere had that as a slogan. I don't know, it's not one of the, quote, official slogans, but yeah. what happened in the men's group, feel good about saying no. Yeah, feeling good about saying no. No is a complete sentence. I've definitely heard that one. I've been practicing that. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, when I'm, a, when I'm texting something, when I get, you know, the barrage of inevitable questions from my daughters about, can you take me here? Can I do this? Can I borrow the car? Can I get this? Can I get that? My two-letter answer is, oh, it's so, it's so freeing. <laughs> to be able to just type, no, that's it. Yeah. No explanation. No, because here's why. Just no. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That feels good. And if they if they push, then is it because I said so? Because I don't want to. <laughs> because, because I don't, I don't want, want, to. want to. Because I don't want to. That that's is a it. freedom to be able to say, because yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. Didn't think I could say that. Yeah, because I don't. Because I because uh, because I said so is is not kind. No, it's and not, it's not truthful. It's, not. it's because I don't want to. Yeah. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're Who would have knew right. that honesty could be so simple <laughs> and effective? Right along with set boundaries, free to set boundaries. Our very first episode that we ever recorded which was just three of us sitting around my computer talking at the microphone built into the computer for about 20 minutes was boundaries. Yeah. Like what is, what is the topic we want to talk about first in this podcast boundaries? Yeah. And we have talked about it a number of times since, you know, if, if you're listening and you're, you're hearing these words and you're wondering, well, are there other episodes that talk about these words? You go to the recovery show. Uh, if you're on a computer there's a box over on the right that you can just type your search terms into. It's got a little magnifying glass next to it. If you're on like a phone, um, that box is all the way at the bottom. But if you tap on the menu at the top of the page, then you can tap on search and you go to a place where you can type in your search. So you can type in despair and see what we've got about despair. You can type in boundaries and see what we've got about the boundaries. There is a, there is a resource there to, to find stuff. Episode 214, Sadness and Loneliness. We did that one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Episode 199, Roll Away the Stone, talks about despair, escaping the pain of life. My open talk talks about despair. Expectations, resentments, yep, all of these we did. So I have uh, some other quotes. You mentioned a quote earlier. And I was just looking at him again from brainyquote.com, someplace <laughs> I go to. And 
you know, I just picked four or five from the multitude of quotes that people have said over the year on the topic, and I tried to pare it down to less than these five, but I, I don't know. I think every one of them is really good. I'm going to read them. Yeah. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. That's said by Ronald Reagan. Huh. Freedom, you know, you need to, it, it takes work. This program took work for me to get to this point where I feel freedom again. The next is from Coretta Scott King. My story is a freedom song of struggle. It's about finding one's purpose, how to overcome fear, and stand up for causes bigger than oneself. Really good. And the next, Eckhart Tolle, the stillness underneath the mental noise, the love and joy underneath the pain is freedom, salvation, and enlightenment. Let me look at that one again, because it's... Yeah, it's a lot there. To know yourself as the being underneath the thinker, the stillness underneath some mental noise, the love and joy underneath the pain is freedom, salvation, and enlightenment. Yeah. Last week I was visiting my brother, well, a week ago, visiting my brother in Southern California because he's moving away, and so it was my last opportunity to, to go out there, right? Last opportunity to go to Southern California. With that excuse, anyway. One of the things we did was we visited a Japanese garden at uh, California State Long Beach. It's a small one, but it was it's pretty, it's quiet, uh, and it has a little uh, Zen garden in it, you know, with the raked stones and the big rocks and, and so on. And it was so good to be able to just sit there and let my eyes follow the curves of the rakes and rest on the branches of the the trees and not have to feel that I had to get up and do something. That, I think, is not something I could have done. 15 years ago when I came into program could not have done that. I could not have just sat there and kind of soaked it in. And now I can, you know, the stillness underneath the mental noise, you know, my brain was still chattering away. I haven't, I haven't figured that one out yet. You know, and maybe I never will. Maybe it's just the, the, the ability, as he says, to find the stillness underneath it that, that is the key to, you know, meditation is what it was, right? I was meditating with my eyes open. Uh, you know, sometimes I meditate and just follow my breath. Sometimes I have uh, a guided meditation so I can follow the words. I still have to focus on something, but if I focus on something that is not the chatter in my brain, in this case, I was focusing on the stillness, the moving stillness, if that makes any kind of sense, of, of that garden underneath the mental noise to just kind of let the mental noise do its thing but not have to pay attention to it is so good. Oh, my God. Okay, moving on. I'd suggest, uh, I'd suggest you go to episode 151 in the recovery show. <laughs> Meditation? Correct. <laughs> yep, yep, I know. The freedom to just sit there, not do something. Yep. Another quote here, right? Instead of trying to make your life perfect, give yourself the freedom to make it an adventure. How about that? Yeah. That's great. 
And then I'll finish with the last one. Our greatest happiness does not depend on the condition of life in which chance has placed us, but is always the result of good conscience, good health, occupation, and freedom in all pursuits. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, he was pretty smart. He was a smart dude. He was definitely pretty smart. Yeah, I'd listen to him. And Martin Luther King Jr., freedom is never voluntary, given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. You know, I felt pretty oppressed coming in here. Mm. And uh, I had to demand freedom by working this program and making progress. I don't know if it's a demand, but it's certainly a right. And uh, I have, I don't know, I have a right to be free. I have a right of decision. I have a right to be happy and joyous and free. Happy, joyous, and free, yeah. I think we voluntarily gave up our freedom. We didn't necessarily recognize that that's what we were doing, but we did it because we thought other things were more important. And and so, I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't know about demand, but we definitely, I definitely was taking my freedom back as I recognized the freedom that I had to, to make choices, to, to go listen to a musician play, even if nobody else in the family wanted to. Very simple things like that. Very simple things like that. Um, and I wanted to close with this, this thing that you said earlier. I now have a toolkit full of slogans, steps, traditions, concepts, fellowship, friends, phone calls, and a sponsor that are keys to unshackle me, free me, from the self-imposed chains I had locked myself in by allowing the disease to control me, my feelings, attitudes, and behavior. And on the topic of control, that's our first musical selection here, Janet Jackson, her song Control. I think I may have used this in another episode, but I I thought this was a good counterpoint to the to the freedom, you know, this is kind of where we were before. We were, we were trying to be in control, and by trying to be in control, we were being controlled. The song actually starts out with a, some spoken words. This is a story about control, my control, control of what I say, control of what I do, and this time I'm going to do it my way. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I do. Are we ready? I am, because it's all about control, and I've got lots of it. So she's trying to take control, but if you watch the video, it's clear that she has felt controlled, and she's really trying to take it back. She's trying to take back her freedom. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our lives and our meetings this week. And yeah, you had that that big all-day meeting experience, yeah. right? You want to... For people who've never been to a convention, and what is what is the experience? What happened? It's for us up here. It's uh, every year uh, around this time up uh, in a town called Cromwell at a large hotel convention center kind of place, and there are workshops, there are raffles, uh, fundraisers for Alateen, but a lot of different workshops all day long. It's a AA Allen on Alateen. And this, in our case, is six or 700 people, I would say, uh, throughout the day. It begins on Friday night. Saturday is the most well-attended all day long. Many people stay over. There's a candlelight meditation at night and a dinner. And Sunday, kind of a wrap-up, get-together with everyone. 
in the grand ballroom kind of thing. But for me, I just did the day because I have both children with living with me now. So I came home at the end of the day, went with a friend. So a lot of people from my district and a lot of other people from all over the state. You know, the uh, topics of the ones I went to, the topic of the entire convention was sailing into serenity. And as you could imagine, there were tons of references to anchors and rough seas and uh, <laughs> right, yeah. ropes and bait and, and, you know, storms and rudder and rudderless. <laughs> All really apt metaphors, yes. Yeah. Someone said that Alan was their spiritual coast guard, you know, mm. guard, guarding their coast, spiritual coast guard. Uh, there was talk about someone's perfect storm life preservers, all that stuff. So the ones I went to, let's see, I started the day charting the course, which was on parenting. I went to another on sponsorship, which I shared in, you know, they typically have some speakers and then they have a mic or anyone who wants to can come up and do a quick share. And I shared on that. I shared something from our, from your podcast, which, uh, my, uh, I've been thinking about and using, and it was someone that spoke on an open talk about, sponsorship and someone that had approached them about sponsor being their sponsor and what she said i thought you know gave me a lot of perspective which was and i've suffered a little bit of you know indecision on this with some not suffered but i've thought about i've been asked by many people men to be a sponsor and at one time i had six or seven and i kind of got some resentment happening about them not calling and um, i didn't think they were very serious about the program and I thought, you know what, I'd rather give my time to someone who wants to work the steps. And so I started saying, you know, if you're willing to work the steps, is that, you know, why you want? Otherwise, we can be friends. You can call me anytime. Right. But a sponsor-sponsee relationship is a little bit different. And my sponsor put it this way. He said, you know, I can be your friend and call me anytime. We can talk about program or anything you want. Or I can be your sponsor, but I can't really be both. I thought at the time that was a little harsh, but yeah. I actually agree with it now. But something that someone said on one of your open talks was, she said in response to being requested, are you willing to do, she asked this of the person, are you willing to do what I've done for as long as I've done it to get what I have, to get what you want, you know, get what I have? And I thought I shared that. A couple of people responded to that. I then went to a men's workshop on dealing with adversity. Certainly uh, something we all have to deal with, relationships. Really some great stuff in here. Someone said, he thanked his higher power for what he has taken as well as for what he has given. Mm-hmm. There was this workshop on slogans, which we've done a couple episodes on. I loved, I wrote, someone said, I'm a survivor, not a savior. I like that. Ooh. I wrote, and I don't know why I was in here. I wrote someone in my men's group shared years ago. The Remember the old show from the 70s and 80s called Get Smart with Don Adams? Yes. Well, how do we get smart? When we have two opposing views, one is chaos and one is control. Hmm. <laughs> you remember the two, <laughs> the two agencies. He was with control and he was battling chaos. How about that? I never made that connection. Yeah, but chaos yeah. and versus control. Yeah. And then this one was in the laughter and humor, uh, which we touched on earlier workshop, which was really well attended, as you can imagine. And the woman was saying to her young daughter at the time, her, her husband was a raging alcoholic, and she was uh, had a young, I don't know how old, four or five, six-year-old, whatever age you start to spell, and she was practicing her spelling, and 
the mom said to the daughter, spell the word. It was in a book, I guess, for her class. Spell the word straight. And the daughter said, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Mom said, great, great. Now, what's that mean? And the daughter says, it means without ice. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, funny. Um, I wrote down here, I don't know why, you know, two guys and somebody was talking about getting eaten by a bear and two people that are out hunting and the guy looks at us, you know, if we get attacked by a bear, look, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. (laughs) So uh, I thought that was funny. Then the AA uh, speaker on the same panel with his wife, we didn't know on the same panel speaking about humor, shared his side. And it was really good. He said when he started coming into Al-Anon after having gotten sober, he, you know, he uh, he saw these slogans. He's like, "Are you kidding me? How important is it? Let me go get my baseball bat and show you how important it is." <laughs> you know, <laughs> he said, "You know, in, in Al-Anon, you get a flat tire, you call AAA. In AA, you get a flat tire, you call the suicide hotline." Uh, <laughs> it's just funny. I mean, he he said he was he had, you know he made the point of getting an Al-Anon sponsor. Because it is such a gentle and slow program, it's not like AA where you walk in, you can't drink. Okay, that's a drastic change from the day before. He called his Alan on sponsor. Said, I, I don't see it. I'm not making any progress. I don't see any progress. I can't see progress. And his Alan on sponsor said, "I want you to go outside and lay down and look at the grass for a while, and then call me back." Then he goes, I, "I do what my sponsor says to do." So he goes out and lays down. And he's looking, and the neighbors are thinking, oh, Christ, Ed's drinking again. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. So he comes back in, he calls his sponsor, and his sponsor, I, I, I laid down and looked at the grass. He said, sponsor asked him, is the grass growing? He said, uh, yeah, I guess so. Well, you couldn't see it, though, could you? I thought that was a really cool analogy. Mm-hmm. The analogy, obviously, being this is a slow progress. Yeah, you know, yeah. Of course it's growing. Yeah. You just can't see it growing. That was really good. Then I did a one on relationships. It was a great meeting on anger. She said a quote I love, fear was water to my anger. Fear was the water to my anger. And that's kind of where then on the rest of the day, I kind of started making my free to and free from list. So yeah. really great day. Really great day. Who knew? Lovely <laughs> Freedom to not take it personally. I also finished with that one. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one of my early friends in the program told me about Q-tip. Yeah. Quit sure. taking it personally. Yeah. Q-tip. Yeah, that's the one my daughter's kind of like. I think she carried one with her for a long time. So, mm-hmm. she, you know, she would open up her, her purse or whatever and see the Q-tip. Oh, yeah. Quit taking it personally. <laughs> so me, yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I did in the last couple of weeks is is to do a lot of self-care. I spent a week week in Southern California not thinking about work, not thinking about all the things that are going on at home that I might need to worry about. I mean, sure, they came to mind occasionally, but I really, we took walks on the beach. We sat and talked. We went out and had a beer together. We, uh, Went to some poetry readings. My brother's a poet, and so we went to one he organizes, and we went to one that a friend who had moved away came back and was the featured poet. 
we went to the the Japanese garden. We went to a bird sanctuary and walked around and just, it was a great relaxing week. I got back late on Saturday after getting up at four in the morning, California time to catch my flight. And I didn't have the energy or the planning to be blunt to do a podcast episode. And so I said, this, this is self care. I'm not ready. I don't have the time because, you know, there were things I had to do that I would have been doing in the previous week, but I wasn't there to do them. And I said, I'm just not going to do it. I don't have to feel controlled by the podcast. I have the freedom to say, eh, not doing it this week because I need to take care of myself. Also, and I think, I don't remember if I mentioned this last time or not, but I had gone to the doctor for my annual physical like two days before I went on vacation. We found, she found a number in my blood work that is concerning. And so put me on a new medication and said, look, I think you can get this under control. But one of the factors is that I'm somewhat overweight. And I know that I had gotten my weight down 20 pounds lighter than I am now a year before. And then, you know, I got busy and it was easier to like eat and probably some stress eating too. Who knows? And it crept back up over the year. And, and so, you know, it's like, get that off because that will have a significant effect on this number. I'm recommitting to my program of exercise. I went running three times in the five days I was there. And, you know, the nice thing there is I could drive down to the beach and run along the beach in the morning. It was nice and quiet, a little bit on the cool side. It was, the highs were in the 60s out there in, in, in the L.A. area while I was there, which I would have liked it to be warmer. But on the other hand, it's really nice for running. <laughs> so I've been, been trying to, you know, I'm putting that back in my life and I'm really committing to, to get on a regular schedule and get, and, and to eat more reasonably we at work we have like all these snacks just set out on a table so that we can stress eat or whatever and i'm trying real hard to not go to the snacks as often not cutting out totally you know i can still grab a couple of peanut butter filled pretzels pretzel nuggets when i when i want to but i don't have to like make a whole cup full and that's another thing like if I cut things out totally, then I feel deprived. But if I cut back, it's still there. And I'm not, I'm not deprived. I'm just not, you know, over, overindulging, whatever. Anyway, too much on that. Meeting yesterday was on step 12. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I shared about a couple two parts of, there's three parts of that step, right? Um, first is about awakening. And, and, and I just shared about, you know, waking up, waking up gradually. And this connects back to the grass growing thing, right? When I got to step 12, the first time I was working the steps and I was working it in the past recovery book. And the first question says, have you experienced a spiritual awakening? I was like, well, I don't know. Like there was no white light experience, no sudden awakening. So I had to look at where was I two years ago? Where am I now? And to see how significantly 
my approach to life, the way I lived my life had changed and said, yeah, that's an awakening. You know, it's like the grass. The grass is not growing while you're lying there looking at it. I mean, it is growing, but you don't see it. But you go away for a week and come back. It's like, oh, my God, I need to mow the lawn. The grass is like so high. And that was the same thing with the the awakening. The other part of step 12 is about practicing the principles in all our affairs that I talked about because we're trying to make a big decision at work about spending a significant amount of money on a product that, that could help us do our work better or more quickly or more efficiently. We had a meeting Friday afternoon of my team to talk through, to try to make that decision. We did not end up making that decision. There was a lot of expression of pros and cons and anxieties and fears and, and enthusiasms. And at the end of the hour and a half, when it became clear that we were not making a decision right at the end, I said, okay, here, everybody take you know, one little square of paper and write a number on it from one to 10 about how you're feeling about making this decision about going ahead with this. And it came back and, and there were a bunch of answers in the sort of six, seven, eight range. Pretty good. There was one, two and one, four. That's not a consensus. Those are people who would be significantly unhappy with that decision, particularly whoever it was that wrote the two. And I don't know who it was. I think I know who it is based on things that they said and body language and so on. Alanon tells me that I have to hear everybody's voice. The, the voice of our group conscience is, is often consensus, but that I have to hear there's, there's one of the concepts is about like, Minority opinions get to be heard, and I forget exactly which one it is and what it says. And so I, I'm sitting with that. You know, I'm t- I have the freedom to like not do something about it right away. I'm sitting with it, and I'm, I need to, I need to really contemplate whether going ahead with the decision is going to make that person, those two people, unhappy enough that maybe they won't want to work. In that team, maybe they'll, they'll, you know, look for another job. And if it's the people I think it is, I don't want to lose them. So I have to, I have to turn from the technical to the personal. You know, I have to look at those hard interpersonal concepts and, and factors, not just the, you know, I was trying to make a decision based on rational and, and it's, it's not always rational. It's about feelings. And so, Talking about step 12 in that meeting really kind of clarified that I need to do something. We need to do something based not just on the facts, but based on the way people feel about them. I don't know. So that's um, a couple things about recovery in my in my last couple of weeks and uh, how I'm using the program. That's some upcoming topics I actually have scheduled with a listener to talk about this question of talking to small children about recovery, how how we can do that, what it makes sense to tell them, what it makes sense to maybe not tell them. How do you answer this question about what are what are these meetings, you know, et cetera. So I'm gonna have that conversation in a couple of weeks. I'm still receiving shares about all the aspects of parenting and also about violence by the Alanon in an alcoholic relationship. And so those are topics I want to cover soon. 
We welcome your thoughts. Please share. You can join the conversation, leave a voicemail, or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And Eric, how can people do that? You can leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, freedom, or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And our website is therecovery.show, where you can find all the information about the show, including the notes for each episode. We put links to the things we talk about. I will have a link to that blog that you found through an Al-Anon filter. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put a link to that and the Freedom Post in that blog. Hey, next song is Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. You know, this is an oldie but goodie. I used to actually play this song back, way back. Watching the tide roll away, sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. Looks like nothing's going to change. Everything seems to stay the same. I can't do what 10 people tell me to do, so I guess I'll remain the same. Pretty cool. Wasting time, you know, don't have to do anything. You can just sit there. You don't have to do what 10 people tell you to do. Yeah. That is freedom. We got a little bit of email this week. Patty wrote, hello, Spencer. I just wanted to tell you again how much I appreciate the podcast. I also wanted to share a song. This isn't an episode music suggestion, though, of course, you're welcome to use it, but a song which always reminds me of you. It's Better Man by Kebmo. Some of the lyrics, I'm going to make my world a better place. I'm going to keep that smile on my face. I'm going to teach myself how to understand. I'm going to make myself a better man. And I'll put a link to that one in the, in the notes as well. She says, thank you again for the podcast. I can't say enough good things about it. Best, Patty. And, you know, I thought we had used that song in an episode. I remember that song. I remember considering that song for an episode, but apparently we didn't. So thanks for the suggestion. And it seems to me, you know, this song would fit really nicely with episode on steps, like steps six, seven, about becoming entirely ready and about asking God to remove our defects of character. Step nine about making amends and step 10 about, you know, keeping it clean. When, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it that I think that song would go with, with any of those topics. What do you think, Eric? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm in here for. Trying <laughs> to be a better man. I'm here to be a better man, be a better person. Nikki left a comment on the post Myrtle A open talk. That was episode 238. She said, this really hit home. Thank you for sharing. Want to read the note from Mercy? Sure. She says, hi, I'm a double winner. I love your show. Al-Anon is a lifesaver, a soul saver. I recently was going through a horrible depression and just kept your show on loop for hours. It gave me so much peace. Thank you, Mercy. Wow. I'd like to have the name Mercy. Oh, wow. I'm going to name my next dog Mercy. (laughs) Uh, It's better than God Almighty. Come here, God Almighty. Oh, no, please no. Um, (laughs) Diane Diane wrote and asked, what does principles before personalities mean? And that phrase comes from our tradition 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. And, in the discussion of that that tradition in the book, How Al-Anon Works, 
Personalities can overcome Al-Anon principles when we place those we admire on a pedestal, relying on them instead of God for guidance. And also, there will always be certain Al-Anon members we dislike, dot, dot, dot. If we let personalities interfere with our spiritual goals, we cheat ourselves out of important opportunities. To me, it means that I need to pay attention to what somebody is saying rather than to them. That's one of the aspects of it. I need to keep the principles of the program in mind and and not get distracted by the, the individuals that I may like or dislike, that I may admire or that I may, uh, you know, have, have resentments about. Uh, you have any thoughts on that one, Eric? Principles before personalities? It's, it's an important one. You know, it's, uh, it's a slogan. Um, I think maybe we touched on it in one of the slogans episodes, but it, you know, it's about hearing without judgment, you know, hearing the message without judging the person. That's what I kind of put. Yeah. That. It's good. Yeah. 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 Anne writes, I value tremendously your podcast. They have raised my awareness tenfold and I hope they will continue for a long time. Thanks, Anne. Christina says, I joined Al-Anon in August 2017. I found your podcast shortly after. I've listened to the first 50 episodes already. I drive a lot for work, and your program helps me on a daily basis, especially when I can't get to a physical meeting. Thank you, and and thank you, Christina, for writing. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Mary, Anne, Robin, Debbie, and Tina did. And thank you again for your contributions. The last song is Freedom by George Michael. And again, you can listen to this at therecovery.show slash 241. Some lyrics here. All we have to do now is take these lies and make them true somehow. All we have to see is that I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. Freedom, I won't let you down. Freedom, I will not give you up. Freedom, have some faith in the sound. You got to give for what you take. It's the one good thing I've got. Freedom. That's a great one. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, Spencer. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you're facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time